Welcome to Data Bytes. I'm Susan Wong. And I'm Jesse Chazeski Kay. Susan and I are two statisticians in academia, and we want to bring statistics closer to you. We'll touch on topics in big data, data science, machine learning, artificial intelligence, and the list may grow. In this episode, we discuss how algorithms can be biased and talk about the job outlook for data scientists. Spoiler alert, it is positive. Let's get started. The recently elected House Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of New York made a claim that facial recognition algorithms are biased. She said, and this is a direct quote, those algorithms are still pegged to basic human assumptions. They're just automated assumptions. And if you don't fix the bias, then you are just automating the bias. Yeah, and so just to be clear, the word bias actually has a special meaning in the context of statistics, um, in particular, how far our models deviate from the truth in expectation. But Ocasio-Cortez here is not talking about statistical bias, but rather cognitive bias, um, the kinds of discrimination we might see based on, for example, um, race or, or sex. That's a really good clarification. In fact, instead of bias, let's just call it unfairness. She was actually ridiculed for this statement. And, um, you know, the, the critique was how could algorithms be unfair if they're just based on math? How could a computer say favor one race over another? And I mean, I, I can actually understand how this would be surprising or perhaps confusing because we do think of algorithms as being objective and therefore seemingly immune to unfairness. Now, little known in the world of politics, bias and, and just ethics in general has become a hot topic in the field of machine learning. As we develop fancier and fancier algorithms, we also need to take care to make sure those algorithms don't behave badly and magnify the bias that sometimes is already embedded in our daily lives. We can even present some familiar examples of these, um, these sorts of issues. Um, so there used to be this problem where if you do a Google image search of doctors, um, the search results um, consist of primarily white males, and, um, and this is in greater proportion than the actual population of doctors. And likewise, for Google searches for nurses, you get more female nurses than the actual population of nurses. And that just sounds like it's got to be a bug, right? But it's, but it's actually not. Um, and it is really because our algorithms, and in this case, Google's search result algorithms, um, which are optimized for click rates, they're only as good as the data that we pass in. If there have historically been a lot more male doctors than female doctors, then our search results will reflect that. There's actually some more beyond just, um, just that, but at a minimum, uh, a lot of times it is based on the data that we've had historically. Yeah, another example, um, sentiment analysis is becoming a rather popular tool these days um, for people to assign numerical scores to texts that reflect, for example, its positivity or negativity. So words like, um, I don't know, like horrible or boredom would then lower the sentiment score and words like um, hope or improvement would increase a text sentiment score. Yeah, that's, um, it's really interesting. Just to give an example, one of my advisees last semester was working on a project that examined thousands of articles published on the Nigerian president, Buhari. And he was interested in using sentiment analysis to keep track of whether the articles trended more positive or negative over time to see how the public or, or just media sentiment aligned with his political track record. 
And that actually sounds like an impossible task to do without modern sentiment analysis, because otherwise one would would have to read through a lot of text in a short amount of time and try to come up with some sort of impartial assessment of the overall sentiments. Yeah, and some words are just really challenging for that as well. Um, But even so, with these algorithms that are able to compute these numerical scores for words, how impartial are these approaches? Uh, In fall of 2017, Andrew Thompson from Motherboard played around with Google's Cloud Natural Language API, um, and this is open source, so everybody can use it. And when he put in the statement, I'm Christian, he obtained a positive sentiment score, and when he put in, I'm a Jew, he got a negative sentiment score. And again, none of these things are sort of prejudicial outputs that were intentionally encoded. Um, It is just because the way that these methods were trained, it is based on historical data. And historical data probably consisted of news articles and books and biases that were contained in them. So um, Representative Ocasio-Cortez mentioned facial recognition in particular as being unfair. Um, Do we have any evidence of that? Indeed. So in July 2018, there was a report done by uh, the American Civil Liberties Union, or ACLU, and they were looking at the performance of Amazon's facial recognition engine that's called recognition with a K instead of C. And as an experiment, uh, they had fed in photos of Congress members, and 28 of them were falsely matched to arrest mugshots. And a disproportionate number of these 28 were non-whites. So yes, a little problematic. And, and we should say that um, there are actually real ramifications for these unfair algorithms. Um, one of the ways, for example, in which machine learning has become used in our legal system is in the courtroom. And so there is a system called the Correctional Offender Management Profiling for Alternative Sanctions, or COMPASS, um, that, was, um, that is used to predict recidivism of criminals, um, that is predict whether or not a criminal is likely to re-offend. And um, this prediction is used to determine bail. And a study done by ProPublica in 2016 found that this compass system was actually rather unfair. It tended to flag black defendants as being repeat criminals erroneously at double the rate of white defendants. Um, Do we know how the actual rates of recidivism between whites and blacks are? Um, That might help to clarify the point here. So for the study, they were looking at a sample of more than 10,000 criminal defendants in Broward County, Florida. And uh, what they found, looking at two-year recidivism rates, that is whether someone was likely to um, commit the same crime within a two-year period, they found that the model was actually quite accurate in aggregate, meaning that it sort of accurately predicted these rates um, pretty correctly at 55% for whites and 63% for blacks. But if we peel beneath that um, that base layer, we find that the false positive rates were actually very dramatically different, 45% for blacks and 23% for whites. Um, and these are the proportions of each race that were misclassified as potential reoffenders when they ultimately were not, when they sort of followed through looking at the end of that two-year period. And there were similar problems with the false negative rates. 48% of whites who reoffended were predicted to have low risk of reoffense, whereas 28% of blacks who reoffended were predicted to be a low risk. So is there any solution to this sort of problem? 
So researchers are working on quantitatively formulating what fairness should look like. That's the beginning of how we can train our sophisticated algorithms to recognize and prevent making predictions that wind up being unfair. So one way, for example, to define fairness is demographic parity. This fairness criterion is satisfied if the rates of, say, high-risk classification assignments are aligned across different demographic groups. Another example is the equality of odds condition, and this essentially asks that the true positive rate is the same across different demographic groups, so that when conditioning on the subset of individuals that do recidivate, that do reoffend, the algorithm should have the same proportion of predicting high risk across blacks and whites. There are, of course, other definitions of fairness, and we're going to link some of these on the episode notes on our website. There's not yet a single definition to rule them all, and indeed we should note that one difficulty is that unfairness can be manifested against groups that aren't immediately obvious, and it wouldn't be feasible to simply write down all possible demographic subgroups that are vulnerable. But anyway, all in all, this is a first step, and one of the papers we're going to link integrates some of these ideas into a neural network model to improve upon classifications of recidivism risk. There is some good news for those interested in becoming a data scientist. What's that, Jesse? Indeed. Uh, That is, the job search firm Indeed (laughs) recently announced that there appears to be a shortage in the number of data scientists. And uh, in fact, even though the number of people interested in data science jobs has been increasing, it turns out that the number of positions becoming available is increasing at a faster rate. That is good news for data scientists. And I think it's sort of been uh, good news for us for a long time. So I guess not the best news for companies that need to hire them. (laughs) Yeah. uh, In December of 2018, there were um, 29% more data science related job postings. And that's compared to December of 2017. But the number of data science searches was up only 14%. Uh, So this is just comparing December to December. Yeah, so that's that's what it seems, Um, though the article I saw also noted that LinkedIn saw a shortage in the supply of data scientists, um, and they reported that back in August of 2018. So low supply, high demand, the principles of economics would suggest that the price of such goods should also increase. Yeah, actually, uh, actually, yes, that seems to be also what's happening. Um, so salaries are generally going up. They, um, they listed a number of cities like Houston, San Francisco, Seattle, Atlanta, Boston, and, and a number of others. And they all saw salary increases ranging from 3% to 17%. Um, of those that they listed, the median and average increase were around 7%. Um, so there was just 14 cities that were considered And the only city on the list that saw a decrease was Washington, D.C. Might I speculate that has to do with government jobs? (laughs) (laughs) That's probably a legitimate speculation, yes. In any case, this is good news and certainly a good note for us to end the episode on. Thanks for listening to Data Bytes. If you have any suggestions or comments for us, please email us at databytes.podcast at gmail.com. And if you want to see the numerous articles that served as reference materials for today's show, please visit our website at databytespodcast.com. 
That's databytes with a Y. Um, so databytespodcast.github.io. Till next time.